Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking, Debbie Buyaki. Welcome aboard. Today, we'll be taking a flight over nature's view, kicking off from Nairobi, having an extreme flight through children and climate change. I hope you enjoy this climate journey story. Seatbelts on and wheels up. So I'm going to start with some facts and I think this is also boiled down to a few of the episodes so just don't get bored yet but listen these things are kind of mind blowing and as mentioned in the previous episode I am a baptized teacher of climate change education I will explain how this came about but my reasoning with sustainability is sustainability equals children the children of today are the adults and the future of tomorrow so if we train them well right now then the future is going to be safe because they're going to carry on with these morals and actions into their future and adulthood in our case for example as the youth of today i think our especially in my country our grandparents handed to us a sustainable world i think i can remember even in my childhood how green it was in nairobi but you know with our quest on industrialization and going big on everything else except nature we have destroyed what it was that our grandparents lived in we have more of a concrete jungle in most of the cities and our drive mainly was profit you know the caption on profit of a people i think that's something we can quite notably say and now that we're trying to restore our planet to what it was in the past we should also involve by default the next custodians of the planet so they can learn how to take care and live in harmony with nature so if we manage to you know recuperate the world now and leave the people who will be the custodians out of this plan they're going to come back and do exactly what we did and we're going to they're going to be in the same um square one we currently are in so that's my whole thought on sustainability and having children on board so here are the facts There are 2.3 billion children on earth currently and in each day we have a billion around a billion children going to school and this is by UNICEF and for me this was like a light bulb moment because this is a great intellectual force and they have the numbers in terms of taking action imagine if a billion kids would plant trees you know this for me was just like a whole mind blowing statistics to find out So most of this 2.3 billion population of children is actually found in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia which is kind of where we can more or less say as per their economies places them also at the worst risks of climate change. So where most of the children are is where actually most of the effects of climate change affect them, things like droughts and floods. So in Africa for example, children living in droughts stricken areas account for what 8.4 million in asia it's 58 million in the americas it's 14 million and in europe it's 1 million so the children basically are spread out in areas where climate change is not something they can escape and especially now that they're children they're going to grow up in this environment and that's kind of sad anyway in floods around 530 children live in areas prone to floods that's majorly in Asia and we can keep referring back to the 
to the episode that happened last year in Pakistan because I have um, numerous friends in Pakistan and it was the floods were really bad and you know maybe this is something I can preempt with floods and water problems we have waterborne diseases and malaria and you know cholera so it's a whole thing climate change affects like a whole trickle down of issues and if children are most affected that's even worse because what will happen to the future generations so when we get to a few more statistics that I'm just gonna a little bit bore you a bit but listen air pollution has led to around 661,000 deaths of children under five years old and this is 10 years ago in 2012 this statistics is pretty outdated but Maybe right now it's like two a million. That's air pollution. And this is both indoor and outdoor pollution. Indoor being like, you know, charcoal stoves and that. And then outdoor being um, industrial gases being emitted. And that's 13% of the children of the population that die that out of um, air pollution, 13% are children. So that's something we can't really ignore that, you know, Climate change is affecting children in a very huge way. Now that we know all these facts, what next? You know, we know children are dying of this and that. So what do we do? How do we protect and empower children in the wake of climate change? And it's actually possible continuity towards the years that are coming. That are coming. So two words for me. Adaptation and resilience. Two words. Adaptation and resilience. So resilience is what we call the ability of an individual or community, society, anyone, or even a system, let's say, in the corporate world. When it's exposed to a threat, the ability to resist it, absorb it, and then recover from it. That's resilience, resisting, absorbing, and recovering from, you know, horrible effects. And for adaptation... This is the process of adjusting to actual or expected effects of something. So in our case, it's climate change. So adjusting to the effects of climate change. You know, it's kind of simplistic maybe, you know, a few years ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago, sunscreen was not such a thing. <laughs> maybe in my country it wasn't such a thing. But right now it is. You have to wear sunscreen because the sun is too hot. So that's adopting to climate change. I hope that's just an example that makes sense. So climate change seemingly will be our new normal and this will be it for more generations after us. So it's up to us to find ways to resist, absorb and recover as well as adjust to what climate change will bring. And even in all this, we should teach these methods to the next generations, which in our case is the children. So... When we touch on the legal sides, especially of uh, things happening in my country in the Children's Act, we have a ruling, or is it like a precedent that says all decisions are going to be made in the best interest of a child? And that's basically what we, sh we should adopt as a population, as an adult population, in regards to preparing the children of this and the next generations to come on how to tackle climate change. And... So what is climate change adaptation and in regards to children, how is it going to be centered? How is it going to be explained to them? Because, you know, the, their minds are not so 
um, able to grasp the dif- the difficult terminologies that come with climate change or the complexities. I was actually watching a documentary and they were asking children across the world what they think climate change is. Children, I think, from five to seven years. And like, I think five out of the seven didn't even know. <laughs> so the answer was, I don't know what climate change is. So having this crisis and taking ways that are simplistic to explain it to kids is something we need to look into. And I have four suggestions how you can do this. And this episode is not for, you know, the parents or anyone. It's for teachers. It's for siblings. It's for grandparents. It's for guardians. It's for any youth. It's for your smaller cousins. This is how you can empower them when it comes to climate change. So focus on the specific risks. Is it drought that, um, in regards to your location, so is it drought, is it hunger, is it floods, is it malnutrition that's affecting the climate of where I currently am located? Then relaying such information to your kids that, you know, where we currently are, this is what climate change looks like. And in other areas, it looks different. Then the second method is to ensure the child's needs and capacities to stand this in the central planning and adapting of climate change. For example, the needs and capacities. This is followed by our first point. So if in your area, floods is the biggest problem. So how do I assess my child's needs and capacities? That can be done through instruments like taking them for swimming lessons and making sure they know how to swim. Because when floods happen, what what will happen? So if it's droughts, how do you talk to your child about food conservation or growing food in the house? And those are the type of things I'm referring to as assess the needs and capacities of the child before taking action. Number three, and this is something I am doing currently, is increasing the voice of children in adaptation and decision-making. And this is, maybe the point sounds so big, but it's quite simplistic. It can be as simple as starting an environmental club, which, by the way, I have done in Nairobi's biggest primary school. And it can be as simple as starting that and letting them discuss what they think climate change is, what they need to do. And this is probably for the teachers in the schools. Is it for them to grow their own vegetable gardens at home? Is it for them to have fun days and talk about climate change to their other peers? Because, you know, they'd understand their language easier. So increasing their voice and empowering them to take action against climate change is another method that I suggest will enable them to be resilient and adaptive to climate change. Number four, which is my final suggestion. By all this, we will protect the children's rights to life, safety, education, and particularly development. These are human rights and specifically attached to children. They have a right to life and they have a right to safety and they have a right to education And by that, it will be a right to development. So enabling them to start environmental clubs, you know, taking them for swimming classes if your area is prone to floods, you know, talking to them about food conservation, allowing them to join certain organizations. I know, by the way, of a child who is doing some great stuff in Canada and he has like a whole global audience, maybe I will attach the link to his pages where he talks about climate change. And these are the things we're talking about on enhancing the voice of the children. So in this time in education and climate change, 
I want to put a special input on it. It's not just formal education because I know I could get under fire in what if we can't afford, you know, in uh, formal education. What if my kids don't go to school or I homeschool them? So this episode is for everyone in terms of formal and informal education. The right to education has been paired up with um, physical security. And this is going to be the interesting part where most people don't even talk about. It's the structural designs of, let's say, educational institutions. Are they drought resistant? Are they flood resistant? Are they lightning resistant? Are they a safe place for children to have classrooms in? And in my school, we've seen schools, by the way, collapsing and killing children in it. So when you talk about right to education, we also need to pair it up with the right to security and physical security. Are there warning systems at work in your schools? And this is to the school heads. Have the children been taught on drills on what to do when a flash flood is coming? Recently, we had flash floods in my country. So have the children been taught on what to do when that comes? And this goes back to, you know, empowering them through certain physical skills. And now moving on to my next point uh, under education. Children are to be involved in future decision processes and they too are future decision makers and consumers of the proceeds of earth. So we cannot in all extents make decisions for them. We should also involve them and ask them what they think they would want to see for their futures. And this is something I think that the UN has kind of developed. We have a whole wing called the Major Group of Children and Youth. I am part of the ecosystem restoration part of it, so it's something that is good and being adopted everywhere, and including the, the SDGs. So common strategies being, including it through reviewing school curriculum. In Kenya, we have had something really great where we had a whole curriculum change where we measured the capabilities of the children as opposed to just intellectual capacity and how much they're able to cram and reproduce at an exam, which is kind of quite revolutionary. And maybe, maybe other educational systems across the world should check into having climate education included into the curriculum. We can have distribution of print and resources to teachers and schools to be able to teach these kids on what is that's coming. That's something I do, by the way. I usually have some resources for from the UNEP side of it, as well as UNICEF. And I have just been printing and giving out to schools so they can have the teachers teach the kids on what is to come, what to do when it comes, and stuff like that. It can also boil down to actions that are in-house. For example, not throwing away food, building your own compost manure in school or at home, activities that educate kids. They can have camps and go learn about eco-farms somewhere. We have something that um, that's kind of the same in my country where they go to school um, outside gardens and learn how to eco-farm with the people there. So is it building community nurseries? There's a whole lot of things that can be done in a way that children can understand the effects of climate change and how to act upon it. We also have a policy on how to educate the kids when it comes to climate change. And it's, I think, under SDG 4. And it says leaving no one behind. That's like a policy that's applied everywhere. But in this case, I am referring to 
zooming in on the children in homogeneous groups, for example, vulnerable groups of children such as refugees, girl children. We have the issue that's going on in Afghanistan with the education of the girl children, promoting access to education for children with disabilities and so on. So we have the policy of leaving no one behind. If it's something that can be done with all the kids, we need also something that can be done by the special group of kids. And not forgetting the different capabilities of a child being put into spectrum. And this is something parents can very well join in on, as well as teachers who deal with younger students and know how to relay some difficult, quote-unquote, difficult information and difficult truths to them. So young people, as of now, are kind of the best place to identify their own risks, needs, and capabilities, maybe because of age and the education we've received. Young people are basically the, they're able to determine what is good and bad for themselves, but children are not able to do that, and they're not able to do that alone and they need adults to help them in such decision-making tables. And this is why I started with this episode is not for specific groups, it's for everyone who has a child in their life or people who know children somewhere. <laughs> so enabling them to make such decisions and voicing their decisions on decision-making tables is the point that I am getting into. Governments and international bodies and anyone of goodwill needs to step up in this and empower these future generations because honestly they are the custodians of earth coming forward. Listen, there's a lot of action that needs to be taken and perspectives. In terms of teaching children, you also need a lot of empathy when it comes to that. So I see we're running out of time, but I'm going to end with a quote by Nelson Mandela. Education is the most powerful tool in which we can use to change the world. And I believe it. Protecting the planet and protecting our children go hand in hand and both can be achieved if we all act now. Thank you really for listening. And this is doable and there is hope. I'll see you on the next flight.